Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Good morning, Vessel. How are y'all doing? That's awesome. I'm doing good as well. Thank you. Um, welcome and thank y'all for being here this morning. Uh, I'm super excited for this series that we're doing. It's been so good as we've kind of launched into this spring and it feels like spring now and it's weird in Texas how it just, we move so quickly from winter to spring and I'm just debating whether or not, like do we plant plants now or is there another freeze? So I'm not sure, but uh, there's another freeze. You're probably right. Some, sometime like in late March or something like that. So anyways, uh, but this series has been really good. And so we've been, the past several weeks, we've been in this series just called The Gospel, where each and every week we've been sharing the gospel uh, just as it is and looking at scripture and as Dustin shared up front, kind of looking at the testimony of our lives and seeing how the gospel is being lived out in us. It's being lived out through scripture about Jesus being this thread that runs through scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, you can follow this gospel thread which is really cool. And so the first week, we, we kind of kicked things off by talking about God and, and who he is, is why he did what he, what's been done and looking at like what the gospel really is, what it is that we believe, what he did on the cross for us. And then we talked, uh, TJ taught on the idea of God pursuing us and how we are people that are in pursuit by God and he's chasing after us in a lot of ways, the Holy Spirit, through Jesus, uh, through his word. And then Shay last week taught on the Philip, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and looking at kind of obedience and why our story matters and how I, I loved the idea of testimony. We feel like what Dustin shared, that needs to be this big, extravagant, magnificent story of, of you know, something dramatic happening in our life. And it doesn't always look that way, but we look in scripture and we look at this Ethiopian eunuch that is reading God's word and why the Old Testament matters. And he's reading this scripture out of Isaiah 53. And Philip, out of obedience, goes and shares the gospel with him and says, do you know what it is that you're reading? And so I've loved just the goodness of the Lord through this and just the faithfulness of God. And I think that a lot of times we think about the gospel as this starting point for our faith. Like if you consider yourself a Christian, or if you're at a place where you're investigating what it looks like to have faith in Jesus Christ, we, we, we think the gospel is the starting point that we graduate beyond. That like we understand what Jesus did, we understand that when we believe these things in scripture to be true, we believe it in our heart, and then our journey of faith with, with the Lord begins. And which is very true, but the gospel is, is every day, every moment of our lives. It's not just this starting point. And so I've said this before and I say it often, but the gospel is a life to be lived and not just a story to be told. If the gospel was simply explaining Jesus and scripture in a way that's easy to understood, we could go and we can make a little track book that has some verses and we could go and hand those out downtown. Have you ever done that, handed out tracks? Yes? and have some PTSD from that experience. I've handed, I, I have not handed out tracts. I didn't grow up in church quite like Dustin in a Baptist church that would do that. Um, I grew up in a Methodist church, and I always heard as a kid, the only difference between, maybe I shouldn't tell a joke in church, but let's go. So as, as a kid, I was always told, because the Methodist church was on one corner, the Baptist church was across the street, 
And so we always got out before the Baptist so we could get to the lunch spot earlier. And the Baptist church had all, they had the youth group with all the girls, which is where Shay went to church. And so I went to their youth group. I was a part of this Methodist church. And so the, the joke was the only difference between Methodist and Baptist is Methodists will say hello to one another at the liquor store. Because Baptists just look the other way. So I'm just kidding. But the idea of like, I hand out tracks one time in Cusco, Peru, on this kind of this ancient square that was really cool, and, and we have translators, and so I've experienced all those things. But if it was just about telling a compelling story, there's easier ways to do it. But the gospel truly is a life to be lived, and that what the gospel and the moving forth of the gospel, when scripture says that the gospel is to go forth, that we make disciples of all nations, it's not about going out and standing on the street corner and handing out a track or hitting people over the head with scripture. It's about living a life of the gospel that is in community and in relationship with people that aren't. Man, if you've been in church for any time of your life, you know how Christians, especially Western Christian culture, we wanna bubble up, we wanna just be a Christian, marry another Christian, get around a bunch of other Christians and just be in this bubble, which is never the intention of the gospel and actually stifles the gospel. And so I, I think one, one thing that Shay said last week that was really important and kind of where we're gonna jump off this morning is the idea of the Old Testament being so important to the gospel is that if I, when, when I grew up, I always looked at the Old Testament like a history book, which in some ways in shape it is. It tells a story, it tells history of God's people, of God and his relationship with man, of creation and of the Israelites and Abraham and Moses and the Noah's Ark and we have all these stories that we learn in children's ministry and it does read like that, but in a lot of ways that's a mistake because I think sometimes we miss the point of Jesus and the gospel in the Old Testament. Uh, I had this Civil War professor, I went to University of Texas and I had this professor, it was one of the hardest classes I took. It was one of my best and favorite class. He was such a good professor. And so he would tell the story of civil war uh, in the time in our country. And you would start off in class, and we didn't have laptops back then. God, it makes me feel old. So we were writing notes down, and he would start, he would start his lecture, and you would start writing notes, and you got to outline, you're doing it. And man, like 10 minutes in, you would just be mesmerized. Like he was such a good storyteller, made it so real, where you would just be listening to him you know, so deep into the story. And then the class would be over. You'd be like, oh my gosh, I didn't write anything down. Like, I have to remember that. And so I think sometimes we look at Old Testament in that same way. But what we miss is, is like with, with scripture in the Old Testament, it is the gospel. It's all the things that we've said. It's God's pursuit of people. It's God's heart to be in relationship with man. It's the brokenness of sin being manifest all around us and God rescuing us from that. And so <clears throat> we, one thing we do here at The Vessel is every, every first Sunday we've started this year is we're taking communion. And so we have communion out, and we're gonna take communion today. And so I, I, I don't know, like we, we're, we're pretty, a pretty good smattering of people that are in different places when it comes to Lord today, when it comes to a journey that we've been on, our experience in church. And so communion is one of the two ordinances that scripture and Jesus commands us to do along with baptism. And baptism is a, is a moment, is an instance, which is this symbol of you accepting life in Christ and being born again. But communion, <clears throat> Jesus tells us, is something that we're to do again and again. And the interesting thing of both baptism and communion, it's roots and it starts long before Jesus. That Jesus, 
being baptized and Jesus uh, breaking bread and having communion in the Last Supper with his disciples was a fulfillment of this Old Testament scripture and this journey that God's people have been on for, for generations. And so I grew up in a church where at my old school Methodist church, we took communion. And it was once a month, right, Dad? About once a month we did. And you would go forth and you'd, you'd come up to the altar and you would kneel down and, and they, would, they would serve you communion. And it was cool. Like, I have all these memories from this church. My grandmother needle-pointed the altar, the, what do you, the, the pads that you kneel on. She did all the needle-pointing on there. And so she did all that, and, and we, we have all these memories, and I was an acolyte. And man, my church got it right. Like, if you're gonna take communion, you should go to First United Methodist Orange. They would serve you Hawaiian bread. Like, as a kid, I'm like, yes. This is like intermission in church. It's like a snack. This is great. It, and they would... The, the, the pastor, he was not stingy either. I mean, a big old piece of Hawaiian bread he would give you, and then the good choice grape juice, right? Not the stuff we serve, sorry, if you got bad communion elements last week, we've replaced them. But it's not, it, it was good choice grape juice, and I got in trouble one time as an acolyte, is that after I was an acolyte, after service, I got in trouble because we were eating the communion elements after service. What we didn't, what we forgot is there's another service after that, and there was some level of irreverence in that moment. But I grew up like communion. It's been this story of God's people that have practiced it long before Jesus. When Jesus and sat down with the disciples and they, on the Last Supper, and took communion together, it is something that, as you're gonna read in Exodus chapter 12, that God told his people to do as a remembrance and a practice regularly. And there are, there is the, the Jewish people today that still practice that. For generations and thousands of years, God's people has been doing that. And in churches and Christian churches, uh, you know, we, we take communion. When I was a kid, I went to a, uh, a Catholic church one time. This is a little bit like my usher finger in the mouth story. So I went to a Catholic church. I had a buddy who went to the local Catholic church in Orangeville, Texas. And so I spent the night with him. I was probably seventh grade. So it was a Saturday night, he said, hey man, hey, can, we're gonna go to church tomorrow morning. I was like, great, man, I'll bring my church clothes, no big deal, you know, you have like two shirts and pants, I'll bring my church clothes, we'll go to church. I know church, I'm good with that. So we sleep over, we get up the next day, we go to Catholic Mass, and I had never, I'd, I didn't know anything about Catholic Mass or what it meant to be Catholic or how that was different than what I experienced as a good Methodist acolyte boy, <clears throat> but it was very different. So we walked in, we, we walked in and we kind of came down the middle aisle. So, and, and I was in the back. So it was, my, it was my buddy, his mom and dad, his brother and sister, and I was trailing. And we came into church and we kind of came down one of the rows and we sat on the row. So I was at the end seat, right? I was on the aisle seat. And man, I was so stressed out in that service. I was like sitting and standing and kneeling and saying things. And you know, I'm like a seventh grader. I'm just, you know, mumbling. You know, people would say things. I just kind of mumbled to pretend to fake it till you make it. And I was so stressed. I was like, man, this is nothing like what I've experienced and what I'm used to. <clears throat> then came time for communion. I was like, perfect. Finally, something I get and I understand. We do communion. I've got this. I didn't realize I wasn't to take communion because I wasn't Catholic. And so we, we come down for communion, I file down the, the aisle, and I didn't know the rules about the hands, and no one warned me. I come forward, and I, I, the, the priest gives me the communion element, the wafer, and it was not Hawaiian bread. It was the opposite of Hawaiian bread. It was bland, flavorless, 
not sweet. And so I was like, wow, that's different. So I was like, well, luckily, I've got the grape juice to wash down the bad communion element. So I went to the grape juice, and so they give you the cup. And I, at seventh grade, I took a big gulp of what I thought was communion, or grape juice. I was like, oh, no, that is wine. That is not, that is not grape juice. So I, I left there, and I started going back to my seat, and I saw another line for juice that had kids in it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I got in the adult line. I need to get in the kid line. I was like, this is great. I, I'm going to wash this out of my mouth. So I get in the second <laughs> cup line and I get in line. There's kids in front of me or, you know, like teenagers. And so I get up and I like, they give you the cup and I smell it. I'm like, here we go again. And so I take another communion and then I'm walking back and my poor buddy, Peter Modica's family, they are mortified because they were behind me in line because I came out in the aisle. So they had already gone through and were back in their seats. And I walked back and they're just mortified about they bring this kid to church. And so like, this is something that we've been doing for generations. And we've all got those moments in church that are awkward or we're unsure of what it looks like. And I think that in a, in a sense to really understand what it is that we're practicing and why communion matters. And not only that, but why the gospel is, communion is the gospel. That when we exercise and we do this ordinance and we take this cup and this juice, that what we're doing is we're participating actively in the gospel. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna jump into some scripture in Exodus chapter 12 and just walk through about and to look at how the gospel is manifest through communion. Lord, we thank you so much for today. <clears throat> I thank you for... Baptism and communion that has been practiced for generations. God, I thank you for um, church being funny and awkward and weird and, and for us being able to just navigate that in grace and not so much grace, Lord. I just pray for our time this morning, God, that as we open your word, as we look at the exodus of, and the birth of this nation, Jesus, that you would just give us a clear image of what the gospel is and why communion matters. And why, by participating in this, it's the gospel being lived out in our lives. God, we love you and we thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter, uh, but kind of midway through the book of Exodus, chapter 11 or 12, is we find <clears throat> this, this God's people, the Israelites, being, being birthed as a nation, being in the, kind of in, in flight of being freed from Pharaoh. And um, if you know the story, you know that, that um, God's people are there enslaved by Egypt. Um, they love the Lord and, and Pharaoh is a, a cruel and a ruler over them and has, has enslaved them. And so God calls this man Moses to, to free his people. And, and, and Moses who, one thing I love about him, he is the most unqualified character in scripture um, along a list of like many others as well. But he's so unqualified, right? He's broken, he's made mistakes, he's a, he's a murderer, he's a liar, he's fearful, he has a stutter, all these things about Moses. And God uses Moses and calls him to lead his people to freedom. And so he uses Moses, and Moses, out of obedience, which Shay talked about last week with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, out of obedience through this burning bush, he says yes to the Lord, and the Lord uses Moses to lead his people. And so there's a series of plagues, and so these series of plagues God uses uh, to 
to free a people that are under rule and enslaved by a Pharaoh with a hardened heart. And so the, the, the plagues kind of progress in severity. They start with the Nile River turning to blood. There's a plague of frogs. There's a plague of gnats and flies, of livestock, of boils. People begin to get boils on their body of hail. I mean, literally it's a plague of hail that just destroys things, locusts descending on the crops, and it finally gets to this place of this last plague, and it's the plague of the firstborn. So God tells his people, God tells Moses, that the firstborn of every child in all of Egypt is going to die. Is that this plague is gonna take the firstborn of every family in Egypt. And so um, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, if you don't release us, if you don't bring us out of captivity, out of slavery, every firstborn of every family in all of Egypt is gonna lose their life. Exodus 11, chapter five says, every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn of son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill and the firstborn of the cattle as well, unless they do what the Lord is asking and, and his commandment. And so in Exodus chapter 12, and I'm just gonna read through this and I know that like when we think about communion, we think about Jesus in the Last Supper, right? That's the image that we get. But I want, I think it's important to understand that like the gospel and Jesus' heart to free his people, to make a way for restoration, to make a way for freedom from sins and, and, and forgiveness started long before that. And so this, this scripture in Exodus chapter 12 is important. So I want us to look at really is where it started, like what was first in the Old Testament, then how Jesus fulfilled this thing and this ordinance that God put in place and now how we participate in that very thing. So in Exodus chapter 12, verse one, it says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your years. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, each for his household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be one-year-old males without defect, and you may take them from your sheep or goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month. Then all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses that they are to eat the lamb, and then they are to eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. And so he gives them this instruction of this Passover, say, for you and your household to not lose its firstborn. You're gonna do this, you're gonna sacrifice this lamb. It's very specific what you're gonna do, and you're gonna put it over the door frame of your home. And when the plague of the firstborn comes, that plague will pass over your home because of the sacrifice of this lamb. In verse 21, chapter 12, it says, then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood, into the basin, and put some, on the some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the tops and sides of the doorframe. 
and will pass over that doorway. This is why they call it Passover. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your home and to strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? The very question we're asking right now. Then you will tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who will pass over the houses of Israelites in Egypt and spare our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all livestock as well. Pharaoh and his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was a loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone who had died. So this is Passover. And so, so God made a way in Egypt to free his people and for this death to pass over their home. And so I want us to think again, in light of communion, like as we participate in communion, what Jesus did with the disciples at the Last Supper, and in view of Passover, what does that mean? And how is the gospel just manifest and taught in this? So there's a few things I think are really important to understand from the scripture. The first is this, is that communion teaches us that the gospel is inclusive. The first thing that communion teaches us is that the gospel is inclusive. Maybe we've got a slide for it. And for us, this is both good and bad news, this idea of the gospel being inclusive. Obviously, good news, which is literally what the gospel means, is good news. The good news being that God loves you exactly where you are, exactly how you are. Right now, God loves you. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you're going through, the Lord loves you. You don't need to be cleaned up, you don't need to fix your life, you don't need to change anything to be loved by the Lord. He loves you just as you are. And the gospel is, for, and the gospel is inclusive of everyone. The bad news, as we see here in the story, is the reverse is also true. And the truth is this, while we're all included in the love of God, not one of us is excluded from the destruction of our sins. While we're all included in God's love, no one is, is, is excluded from the destruction of our sin. Verse 29 says, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. From the first to the last, every single Egyptian household. There was no exclusion. There was no caveat. It didn't matter if you were rich or poor, if you were Pharaoh, if you were in the dungeon, or if you were sheep in the field, everyone, death fell upon their door. And we think about this in this gospel, and this gospel being for everyone, this idea of like no one can escape it. And so when you look at scripture, there's a totality of scripture that's undeniable. There's something about when you look at scripture and you see the heart of God and his pursuit of people if you see the love of Jesus is that there's a complete and totality nature of it all. Scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, all means all. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no person, there's none of us in here whose sin does not lead to death. The wages of sin being death and all have fallen short. First John tells us that he, being Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. What does whole world mean? 
whole world. Literally, it means all complete whole. Matthew 24, Jesus says this, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. God's view on humanity is complete and extends to everyone. There's no corner of the world, no person that walks the face of this earth that God's love does not reach and sin does not destruct. And so there's this complete inclusivity in scripture. And that's one of the things I love about the gospel of Jesus. And one of the beautiful things about scripture is that it evens the playing field for everyone. There's no better, there's no worse, there's no more or less righteous. You can hate your neighbor or the person that you work with, but the Lord doesn't and you're wrong. You can hate them, you can be annoyed with them, you can not like their lifestyle, you can think they're awful people, you're wrong. Because God looks at that person and loves them. You can feel like you're better than someone. You can feel like I've lived a life that makes me superior or better than someone else. Wrong. That's it. Right? The gospel is inclusive to everyone. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. It doesn't matter how broken you are. It evens the playing field for everyone. And both of those things are true. No one's sin goes unjustified. No one's brokenness in their life is not cause for forgiveness. No one has not broken relationship with the Lord, but the Lord loves everyone. So when we think about this, first, when we consider Old Testament, first, that death fell upon every home in Egypt and God birthed and freed the nation out of it. God birthed the people out of it. Then Jesus came to free people. That's everyone. To give freedom for the forgiveness of sins and to offer that to everyone. Not just from physical bondage, but from the bondage of sin, eternal bondage. And now when we take communion, like when we look at that, like here's what happened in these people and here's what Jesus did to fulfill this and now we participate in communion is that Jesus and a life and relationship with Christ is offered to everyone. When we serve communion and we offer Jesus, it is without qualification. Everyone gets a seat at the table. Everyone is free to come just as you are. The second thing I think is important that we can see in what communion teaches us about scripture is that the gospel is sacrificial. And this is the very image of communion. When we take elements, we talk about the body of, the body of Jesus broken for us. The blood that was poured out is this sacrificial image for us as we take communion. Verse 21 in Exodus 12 says, then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go once and select the animals for your family and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the tops and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. So there's a couple under, uh, important things to understand about sacrifice when it comes to communion in the gospel. Is that, and, and this is when we, when we view what Passover means and what these Israelites experience. The first is that the lamb was part of the family. The lamb was part of the family. In verse five, it says, the animal you choose must be a year old male without defects and you may take them from the sheep or goat. Take care of them until the 14th day of their month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. They would actually, what they did is, this is really unique, they would take the lamb into their home. So when scripture says, when, when, when Moses commands them, when God through Moses tells them to take the lamb and take care of it, what he's telling them is to take it into their home. 
So it's not just choose one from the flock on the 14th day. It says choose the lamb that's for the sacrifice and bring it into your home. And the reason that that's important is because it symbolized this lamb becoming part of their family. And it made the sacrifice more substantial and not just a monetary transaction. It's what made it not a transaction between God and people. He didn't just say, hey, choose a lamb, your best one, you gotta pay the penance, and we're gonna make a deal, we're gonna make a contract. You pay the lamb, that's gonna be fine. The death is gonna pass over your door. No, it took a sacrifice of a family member. And so this is symbolic for them. So um, the sacrifice for them was familial. It was this familial sacrifice for them. And I think that that's for us a lot of times, we don't, we don't consider what that means for ourselves. We don't even consider our lives. We don't live in a familial society like they did and like a lot of parts of the world do. I have a great, I have a neighbor across the street and his family is from Turkey and his in-laws are here for like six months. I think, oh man, like I, like for my in-laws to come stay at our house, God bless Barry and Sue Ann Boren who are not here today so they don't know, because no one will tell them. But six months, I couldn't do that. We lived with them for three months when we were looking for a house, and that was tough, right? But you think about this familial aspect and, and this sacrifice in this lamb, it's more than just a monetary transaction. It's a sacrifice of a family. Think about Jesus. This is why Jesus was the son of God. And as, a, as an adult and as a parent, to think about you giving up a family member and sacrificing a family member, like that as a parent is something like you don't even wanna think about. Like could you imagine sacrificing your child? No, I don't even wanna think about it, right? No, I don't even, you put it out of your mind, right? Because we feel that. I give my own life before my kids. But this sacrifice was familial. You think about Abraham that's taken Isaac for the sacrifice where the Lord provides a ram. So when we think about the sacrifice, it's not just, it doesn't just cost them monetarily. It costs them something that matters to them, this lamb. The second thing is important to think about when it comes to this gospel being a sacrifice is that innocent blood was the atonement for sin. That the atonement for sin was innocent blood. And atonement is kind of a fancy Christianese word that you hear in church, but probably not in your daily life. I'm not sure, Adele, they're like, hey, what's your atonement for last quarter? I don't know, maybe they do, every day, yeah. But uh, it, it simply means reparations for a wrong, reparations for wrong. It does feel like this really fancy word, but it's reparations for something that's done wrong. And we see it playing out in the world around us, right? Like we can view what's happening with Ukraine and, the, and, and Russia taking their land, and we, we feel that, right? We don't have to be instructed that, hey, that's wrong, what they're doing, we see it played out. I saw a quote by Putin this week that is a quote that he said, we have no, I have no ill intentions on what we're doing. There's no ill intentions. He said this, he said, this is Putin this past week. I want to emphasize once again, we have no ill intentions towards our neighbors and I would advise them not to escalate the situation, not to introduce any more restrictions. Like that's ridiculous. Right, we read that and we, it's disgusted and we think how absurd that is, right? Because we understand atonement. We understand that there's been a, a transgression against the people of Ukraine. It doesn't involve us, it's not our land, it's not our war, it's not our fight, but we feel it. 
right? And we realize that when there's a transgression against someone, there's an atonement, a reparation that needs to be paid to make that right. If Vladimir Putin decides to go out today and say, all right, we're, we're, we're backing off, it's fine. No one is like, oh, cool, we're back, we're good, right? There's been damage that's done, right, that, re that requires atonement. And scripture's the same way. Verse five says, the animal you choose must be a year old male without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. This is a lamb that scripture says is without blemish, a young, innocent lamb. So we think about the sacrifice of communion, of the Passover, of our Savior, it's innocent blood and it's family blood. And that makes a difference in how we view it. First, we view with Old Testament that the sacrifice was the blood of this innocent lamb. Then, when Jesus came, Jesus fulfilled this ultimate sacrifice for all mankind through the cross, right? Jesus didn't come and change. He fulfilled what, what, the, what, what is Passover, he came and fulfilled the scripture for all time and for all mankind. John the Baptist says in, in, at the beginning of the gospel, it says, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world is that God sent Jesus for that atonement for all mankind. In um, 1 Corinthians chapter five, uh, Paul writes it, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. What we don't realize is like we think Passover is this ancient thing, but man, look at how, the gospel, like this forgiveness of our sins, this restoration of relationship with God, it's, it's the plan from the beginning. Since the fall of man, it's God making a way and pursuing us to create a way for us to restore rep, uh, relationship with him, for our sins to be atoned. And man, I don't know if we got any goat farmers in here, but you could sacrifice all the goats you want Right, but it's not gonna get you back to the Lord that Jesus fulfilled this Passover sacrifice. And now that sacrifice is for you and I. That when we take communion, we're exercising, remembering this very thing that these Israelites and God's people coming out remembered and we're celebrating that that has been done for us. And it's about receiving that sacrifice for ourselves. And it's like the image of death passing over the door of the home Right? Moses didn't say, hey, y'all go in your homes. I'm gonna come by, I'm gonna get a little blood and do everyone's door, just stay inside. He goes, you've gotta do it. You've gotta sacrifice. It's gotta cost you something. And I love this idea and image of death passing over the door of the home. Revelations 3, chapter 20, or chapter 3, verse 20 says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Our hearts and scripture are described as a doorway. So when we consider the cross, when we consider Passover, when we consider communion, we're realizing that the sacrifice and the blood that was spilled through Jesus is the one that makes us right with God. It's the one that gives life where there is death. It's the one that allows the destruction of our sin to pass over us. We also see through communion that the gospel is communal. This is communion by its very definition. The gospel is communal. Verse 27 says, and, then, and tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. Do you see the plurality of this scripture? 
It is about the Israelites. It's about our homes. It's about the people bowing down and worship. This is what the Israelites as a group did what God called them to do. Out of faithfulness and obedience, God birthed this nation and saved these people. This isn't Noah's Ark. This isn't a one-man show. And yes, God uses Moses, but this is a group of people. This is a communal thing that is happening across these people. And we live in a, in a, more than ever, we live in the most individualized world. Everything is individualized for us. And what's today, March 5th, 2022, is the most individualized world that you could ever live in. Everything we do is there to meet our needs and our wants and our desires and to be fitted for us. And we have this mentality of individualism. Think about that. The, you can look on your phone, the apps on your phone. There's algorithm that's individualized to you. It puts the things that you wanna see in front of you, right? That's the way the world works. That's the formula that is written into the things that we do. And make, make no mistake, receiving Christ, accepting Jesus is a personal decision that only you can make for you. Being a part of a church doesn't do it. Being born in a Christian family and raised in a church doesn't do it. Making good decisions and being a good person doesn't do it. Only you can respond to the gospel. But living the gospel out, if we truly believe the gospel is a life to be lived and not just a story to be told, living the gospel out in your life is a team sport. It is not just individual. It is being a part of a community of believers. It's taking communion together. It's being in, in, to commune together as God's people. The truth is this, following Jesus is not an individualized pursuit, but it's a communal one, that we follow Jesus together. And in fact, the pursuit isn't even ours. The pursuit is God after his people. And let me tell you that God is after you, even if you have been following Jesus, have a relationship with him for years, but, but the Lord is after his people and he is doing something within his church. This is why for us here, the vessel upward ministry matters. It's why we gather on Sunday mornings is that every, you and I, all of us should go and we should read our Bibles in our lives and we should feed on the word of God. And we could all go home this week and read Exodus chapter 12. And I can tell you the Lord's gonna speak to you through it. But when we open his word as the body coming together and he speaks to us, it's different. Same thing with worship. You should have a personal worship life. You should have a part of your life on a regular basis that you worship the Lord, whether it's singing, whether it's being outside, whether it's doing something, but something that you're worshiping the Lord. But when we come together for corporate worship, it's different. That God brought his people out of slavery, that it was a people group that he brought out of. This is a promise that he made to Abraham generations before. It says, out of you, I will birth this nation. And this is no small feat. Think about it. That, the people and the Israelites leaving, it wasn't like us. It's not like a room of 65 people, right, going out and being faithful to God. It's millions of people that are enslaved, that are, that are doing slave labor, being brought out, literally baptism, being birthed. A nation is birthed, the Red Sea's part. When you have a baby, what's the first thing that happens? Your water breaks, it's, it's baptism. Water is broken when you come. It is a nation being birthed, and it's millions of people that wander out into a desert. There's no evacuation plan. They don't have Twitter or whatever notifications to tell them. It is a miracle 
of what God did to bring these people to wander around the desert to provide food and manna for them, to shepherd them, to guide them, to protect them, to provide for them. And what we don't realize sometimes when, when we participate in communion, it is a communal thing. It is us doing it together. And I'm telling you, you've got to follow Jesus with other people. It's not an individualized thing. First, communion through Passover. And, and this idea of these people being birthed as a group. Then Jesus fulfilling this relationship Restoring relationship with God and his people. You look at who Jesus interacted with, everybody, right? Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free, women, men, good, bad, right? Everyone Jesus had interaction with and he made a way. The woman at the well, he says, there will come a day where you, you, know, you worship here, the Jews, and we worship here. Uh, and, and he says, a day will come where we worship the same God, is that Jesus made a way for us to be in community with one another. And now we take communion. When we do this, we remember what God's done. And I want you to know that when we take communion together, we are participating in the body of Christ, and that makes a difference. Now, we've got these, like when we do communion, we've got these little COVID-friendly cups. It's all prepackaged which is not the Hawaiian bread and good stuff, First United Methodist orange. But that it signifies something. When a bread, and I learned this when I got in the ministry, when a bread is broken, and this is, the, this is the fault that I did when I ate the communion as an acolyte between service. When the bread is broken, you understand that we, we come from the same loaf. The body, we're a part of the body. It's being broken. And when we take that communion, every one of us is participating in the loaf. Right, and when we take communion, it is taking that thing in. The same thing with the cup. When the cup is poured out, right, we're all drinking from the same cup, and it's complete and total. And in the Catholic Church, and this is what was irreverent about me in the, the communion as a kid, is that the Catholic Church, when communion is done, the priest eats the rest of the bread, and he drinks the rest of the wine. Right? Think about being a, um, uh, a Catholic priest on a Sunday, right? You gotta take a nap after that, right? Because they, they take it all because it matters that we participate communally together. And the final thing of this about the gospel is that the gospel is participatory, is that we participate in the gospel together. It says this in verse 20, then the Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. It said the gospel is our decision it's something that we choose to participate in. The Israelites, it was their job to sacrifice the lamb, to do the job, to put the blood on the door frames. And when we celebrate communion, and we talk about it being a table for everyone, it is a table that's for everyone to be able to participate in together. And so, as we take communion, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that we come forth to feast together. And it is our decision, our call to do that. I'm gonna invite the worship team back up here and I'm gonna give us some instruction as we take communion. I want you to think about this. That when you come and you receive communion, when you take that, it is a profession of your belief and faith in Jesus. It is you saying yes. Jesus said, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you, you cannot be within me, that we don't get to be in relationship with Christ outside 
of salvation and communion with Jesus. That our sin separates us from God, breaks relationship with Jesus. That a sacrifice is required. And so, you know, we at home, I was getting, Shay gets fusses at me because we got three kids and sixth grade, third grade, and first grade. Let me just say, dinner time sucks, right? Especially when they're a little bit younger, right? It's no fun. They don't eat. They don't participate in the meal. You argue with them. They want dessert. And so Shay will fuss at me sometimes because I'll just like, I'll eat later. Let's get the kids fed and then I'll eat later. Shay's like, no, you're not participating in the family meal. It's not breaking bread together. So as we, as we take communion, we're gonna worship and I wanna give you space to just, when you're ready, as the Lord puts it on your heart, when the time is right, you can sit and just be with the Lord, listen to worship, you can stand and worship. And when you're ready, I want you to come forth and take communion. But I want you to know that that is your decision and your decision to come forth and take communion signifies your faith and belief in Jesus and your acceptance of the sacrifice that Jesus made because God does not force himself upon anyone. God loves you and wants relationship with you exactly how you are. And God made a way for that possible by sending Jesus to give his life for your sins. So again, you just come up whenever you're ready. You can take communion, take it as you feel led. We'll worship and I'll come out and close us in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for, God, for a, a heart for people that goes back to the beginning of time. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.